This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on Thursday, July 28th, 2022. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rob Hart. It is back-to-school time, and shopping can be a challenge as inflation impacts your buying power. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, the U.S. economy is contracted for the second consecutive quarter. Let's put the latest numbers in perspective with the help of Diane Swank, Chief Economist at KPMG in Chicago. Diane, thanks for joining us today. When we last spoke at 1020, you said something that was very interesting about the last time uh, we saw this type of negative GDP um, combined with other strong economic factors was the end of World War II. And it was a very similar situation uh, over 70 years ago. The uh, economy was uh, shifting off of a wartime footing back to a civilian footing, and we are shifting off of this uh, COVID crisis footing as the pandemic becomes endemic and life adjusts to uh, COVID just being out there and just being a part of the everyday reality. Um, Does this mean we're going to find a situation where uh, the upcoming decade, the 2020s, will uh, be a rerun of the 1950s once uh, that inflation is wrung out of the economy? Well, that first of all, that last part is the most important. Back in that World War II period, we had 20% inflation coming out of there. That was uh, that was hot, smoking hot. Um, but we also had a baby boom that happened, and that's not likely to repeat itself. Even though we we do have a large backlog of marriages and people pairing up in ways that they couldn't during the pandemic, or at least making it official as they couldn't during the pandemic, it's not the same quite the same kind of dynamic. And I think that's really important. And it really is important to also look at the fact that we're still in the process of the Fed really fighting inflation right now. The consumer really did slow to, you know, they they stayed, they continued to spend in the face of this hot inflation, but not by very much, only, you know, 1% annualized rate. That's almost a crawl. And I think that resilience is something we need to look at and watch carefully Part of that resilience was because of employment staying so strong. But, you know, we saw the housing market crater. And there's your canary in the coal mine about, you know, what's the most interest rate sensitive sector. And one of the things I worry most about is how far does the Fed have to go to crater housing um, to derail the shelter cost inflation we have, even with the big declines we've seen in housing since rates have gone up, we're still seeing appreciation in home values and rents are skyrocketing. 
those are underlying inflation problems that are, you know, exacerbating problems like the working homeless. And those are issues that are really burning the U.S. consumer right now. And that's something the Fed's going to have to deal with. There has been some uh, snark uh, so far today. about do, do we really call it a recession? Somebody said uh, it's only a recession if it comes from the recession region of France. Uh, you know, things like that about uh, how do we interpret that uh, Q2 number and the two consecutive uh, uh, periods of decline. Um, but in your mind, what what would make this a recession outside of the GDP contracting? Well, you know, I think the most important issue is the way that economists define recessions, and that's only one definition out there. And it's understandable the American public is really upset because 100% of people feel inflation, and there's a lot of it, and they're getting burnt. Here they see all the wages that they just gained, you know, squandered away. And it doesn't matter where you are on that economic spectrum, you feel it. Now, some people feel it much harder than others, but everybody feels it. So it's understandable that people are angry about this. In the economic sense, we look for more broad-based losses at to call it a recession, and that means a loss in employment most notably, but also a loss in consumer spending and a loss in production. And those are the three things that have not occurred yet, but could occur by year end. And that's what we're watching out for. But I do think it is really important to acknowledge the pain that people feel because of inflation. You know, it's it's something that's very real. And it is something that affects 100% of everyone. And it's always political as well, because it affects so many people, you can't escape it. And the fact that it is really distorting how people have to behave in their everyday lives and make really tough decisions. The Fed can't grow food. They can't pump oil. But the fact that higher food and energy prices are creeping into what we think about the future and not just something that we say, oh, this is bad for the you know couple of weeks and it will be better sooner. That's something the Fed takes very seriously. And I think it was really interesting that Chairman Powell pointed that out. And that's why the Fed is so laser focused on inflation. But like I said you know, earlier, you know, inflation's like a cancer. You get that diagnosis, one that I've had, and when you have that diagnosis, you don't want to hear it, and it's horrible, but you're willing to take the pain to get through it. That isn't easy either. Diane Swank, Chief Economist, KPMG, based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It promises to be a challenging back-to-school shopping season as families deal with budgets that are taking a hit from inflation. Let's get some help from Jennifer Waters, a Chicago-based business writer. Jennifer, thanks for joining us today. Hello, Rob. Yeah, well, if you are someone who is really good at sussing out discounts and it's amazing your point of pride when you pull out that receipt and you see that, well, I have saved, you know, 45% or 30% or $30 off of uh, the listed price. This is your time to shine. Oh, absolutely it is. And I mean, here's the thing about back to school spending. I mean, we've got this inflation issue that's really going to hit home for a lot of people this year as they, as they prepare for back to school, because that's really a big spending time. And, but there are deals to be had and you just have to make sure you're looking at what it is you want to buy obviously school supplies you can find really good deals for for those at like walmart or, or office depot for example right now but like a backpack for example they'll have deals on those now but if you wait a little bit you know after you know after labor day for example there'll be deep discounts on back to school stuff because they're going to want to clean that stuff out right ahead of halloween and christmas 
17 states also have uh, sales tax holidays for uh, back-to-school shopping, and that seems like almost a no-brainer as uh, when to hit the stores. But um, will stores know that you're coming during the sales tax holiday and uh, adjust prices accordingly? Well, yeah, there is some of that going on. And um, and Illinois is not one of those 17 states that have, and those are weekends, they do a whole weekend. But Illinois does have a 10-day sales tax holiday that starts up August 5th through the 14th. And basically what that calls for is there's a 5% discount. Remember, tax 6.5%, so now it's a 1.25% discount, or at 1.25% tax on certain items like clothing, you know, jackets, hats, school uniforms, dresses, pants, that kind of thing. Some school supplies too, not computers though. That's, you know, you're going to have to search for those deals. Um, And then, you know, and then there's, and then when you're talking about apparel, for example, you know, we've talked about this before, Rob, where especially tweens, they don't want to go back to, they don't want to have back to school clothes until they know what everyone's wearing. So, you know, you could, if you can put off some of that, those buys now that's a good thing the other thing is there's so much resale out there on apparel you know you go to a a thread up a poshmark a depop a real real one of those places you know you can find clothes that are hip and much much cheaper so there's lots of ways to save money and with all the discounts out there now you know just you just got to watch for them and get it when you can. And, and the one thing that uh, I have learned as a parent is that there is a very thriving uh, secondary market for uh, hand-me-down clothes and school supplies. And you talk about stores wanting to get rid of merchandise before Halloween. Talk about parents trying to get rid of stuff uh, as their kids age out because they don't want all those clothes and school supplies and other things uh, taking up room in the basement. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's why, you know, I mentioned like the Poshmark, the Depop, those are all resale sites. But then there's also Facebook Marketplace, you know, if people have stuff on that or, um, you know, Walmart's got a Marketplace site. And there's there's so many places you can find things these days that, you know, a few years, years ago you could not. So I, the deals are there to be had, but you got to look for them. And just it's best if you just don't go out there and spend you know, on things that your kids might not use ever or think they're going to want to need, and then it stays in the box and, you know, it never comes out. But yes, I do need a protractor. No, I, I remember that very well, <laughs> trying to get my parents to buy uh, things I clearly did not need. Jennifer Waters, Chicago-based business writer, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next, there appears to be a resolution to a long-running airline merger saga. An economy of words. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. A months-long bidding war has ended with JetBlue agreeing to buy Spirit Airlines for $3.8 billion, the proposed deal. Still needs government approval. We're joined by Ken Goldstein, president of KJG International Consulting based in Chicago. Ken, thanks for joining us today. If the federal government gives its blessing to this union, what does this mean for JetBlue as far as expanding its route network outside of its hubs on the East Coast? Well, it's a big thing for JetBlue. Uh, The nexus or the, the crux of this thing was going back to when JetBlue competed with Alaska Airlines to try to take over Virgin America. They lost that. And as the president of uh, Robin Hayes of JetBlue says, the only thing is it's, this is about creating a larger JetBlue. 
And the only way to do these things is by taking over a carrier. And the situation with JetBlue, their big hubs are Boston, New York, Florida, Fort Lauderdale, and down in Orlando. And the big market for them, a leisure for Spirit, is also uh, Fort Lauderdale and Orlando. So the thing is, if this new carrier comes into being, which it probably will, they will have 50% of the market in Fort Lauderdale and over 25% of the market in Orlando. So those are big markets for them. It also allows a greater presence coming to them because Spirit actually has more flights in Chicago than JetBlue. It'll be a bigger market for them, too, but be able to include increased service from, say, JetBlue going to the West Coast or to the East Coast. They have an overlap in South and Central America. JetBlue was talking and tried to start a service to the U.K. this summer, and that didn't work out because the numbers weren't there, slots weren't there, passenger problems. But this could be a big thing for them. This is a carrier. They have synergies together. They both fly Airbus aircraft. They both, well, from JetBlue's standpoint, they get a bunch of pilots, which is wonderful for them. The new situation will be there will be 458 new aircraft, or that's their fleet, and they've got over 300-plus aircraft on order. So this could be a good thing for JetBlue. And big problem. I was going to say, and, and Spirit's aircraft, because uh, some people were wondering about, is is this going to result in the spiritific- the spiritication of JetBlue uh, or the uh, JetBlueification of Spirit? And it sounds like the Spirit aircraft will get the uh, JetBlue makeover. Yes, they will. JetBlue has uh, Spirit aircraft, the Airbus, that they fly have 10% more seats. So more than likely, they will be pulled out and less seats will be on the Spirit aircraft to comply more with JetBlue. But again, the situation is very simple. Uh, This is the only way that JetBlue can grow, any way that you can go, and the only way they can compete with the big four, or big five, American, United, Delta, Southwest. And the big thing for them is, and I think the key for JetBlue is to get this past government regulation as fast as possible. They have a deal with American where they uh, code share over flights out of Boston and New York, and I think that will be jettisoned because they'll be able to counterbalance with what Spirit had in those cities. So I think they'll get over it and it'll be allowed to continue. Ken Goldstein, President, KJG International Consulting, based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. Still ahead in Technology Thursday, a new effort to utilize solar panels is based in the ocean. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station. News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Mayor Lightfoot signs an executive order involving the enforcement of anti abortion laws in other states. Lollapalooza now underway in downtown Chicago. In Technology Thursday, a new energy project would place floating solar panels in a European sea, and learning how to handle a credit card can be a key financial lesson for teenagers. 
WBBM Business, the markets are higher. The Dow is up 307 points. The Nasdaq is up 77. The S&P 500 is up 38. AccuWeather says a pleasant afternoon, low humidity, plenty of sunshine, a high today of 82. We have 79 degrees right now under partly sunny skies at 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, Mayor Lightfoot has signed an executive order that deals with abortion rights. She says it amplifies the message that Chicago is a sanctuary for anyone seeking reproductive health services. Never in my lifetime would, did I ever think that we would see the kind of horrific legislation that is gleefully being passed in states controlled by Republican legislatures and waiting to be signed by Republican governors. The order prohibits any city agency from taking part in legal proceedings initiated by another state that aims to impose civil or criminal action involving legal reproductive health care in Illinois. Lollapalooza has taken over Grant Park through Sunday evening. WBBM's Mike Krauser looks at things people ought to know whether or not they're going to the festival. The event draws about 100,000 people a day and with that come challenges for everyone. First, the traffic. With all the closures and all the people, there can be gridlock in the area. Public transportation is highly recommended. As with any major event, there will be a large police presence. Recent events like the Highland Park parade shooting have police on high alert. The park is heavily covered by cameras. Bags will be searched at the entrances, and there's a long list of prohibited items. Check the website. Don't go if you have COVID. You can get a refund if you test positive. There will be drugs, that's a given, and festival goers are being warned buying drugs at the event could be deadly with all the fentanyl going around. Police also may have their work cut out for them after hours with so many people downtown and attending after shows. That's the story from Lollapalooza. Hey, it's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets are in plus territory. We're joined by Nick Rach, CEO of the Earning Scout, based in Cleveland. The website, earningscout.com. Nick, thanks for joining us today. And uh, it seems like investors are uh, shrinking Rugging off that uh, second quarter GDP report, uh, what's the reason for optimism today? Well, one reason is if the economy is slowing, maybe the Fed will slow the pace of its interest rate hikes going forward. And uh, that, that the Fed has been using that to battle inflation, and inflation has subsided somewhat as well. So investors in the market are getting a little bit excited that inflation may be cooling and um, that the Fed may not be as aggressive uh, going forward. Uh, there's you know, a great deal of debate today about whether or not uh, two quarters of negative growth in a row meets the definition of recession with the strong consumer spending still and uh, the job market being what it is. But uh, even though it may not hit the technical definition of a recession, are businesses starting to uh, reshuffle their plans when it comes to their own uh, investment or hiring plans? Uh, somewhat, but for the most part, what we're seeing this earnings season is, um, and, and it's surprising to us, uh, confidence from companies about what the second half of the year is going to look like in 2023. Uh, many are saying demand remains strong. The, their biggest thing they've had to battle is the rising prices. Um, and some companies have been hit harder than others. But for the most part, um, we've been surprised that the results are uh, to the market, less negative than what was uh, feared. Uh, so the companies have been holding up relatively well this earnings season. 
Now, is this uh, simply a case of, uh, of the, like, the kind of the first uh, uh, six months of the year where the equivalent of a controlled prairie burn, where you uh, burn away all of the uh, excess scrub grass so life can grow once again? Uh, have we been through this uh, cleansing time, this testing period, and uh, have we really turned a corner? Well, for, for one thing, we've seen, we're very surprised this earnings season that the earnings expectations for the second half of this year aren't being slashed. We anticipated coming this earnings season, they were going to be cut by about 15%, given the drop in price we've seen and, and the higher interest rates and the inflation. They're only falling by about a percent right now. So we're actually concerned that they're not falling more because we think the, mar- the markets may be uh, underestimating what those rising interest rates are going to have uh, impact on future demand in 2023 and on bottom line. So the market may be getting ahead of itself here. Certainly, inflation subsiding is a positive for stocks, and we need to readjust a little bit higher this month. But for a sustainable rally, we're, we're still concerned here that the expectations haven't been uh, slashed more, and uh, we anticipate that will come. Uh, if it doesn't come now, it'll come in the fall. Very quickly on the inflation front, uh, there have been a lot of you know the forward-looking indicators, uh, the prediction markets. Uh, they seem to believe that uh, inflation is going to go down and go down in a rather noticeable way in the future. But how does how do you square that circle with the stories that are going to come out this month and maybe next month, where we still begin with not since the early '80s. Dot dot dot. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of that's going to still come. Uh, we're still going to have very high inflation, but uh, the markets are going to look forward to what inflation is going to be like in 2023, not in August 2022. Uh, they're still going to be high. We don't want to see prices come down too fast, because if they come down too fast, that probably means we're going into a severe recession. So we'd like to see a gradual decline, a persistent sustainable decline in prices we think that would be a much uh, better scenario for the economy and stocks than than a fall a fall off in prices because that would probably mean we're in a, going into a severe recession nick rage ceo of the earnings scout based in cleveland thanks for joining us today conversation that's on the money you're listening to the wbbm noon business hour it's Technology Thursday, a project that's described as a floating carpet of solar panels is planned for the North Sea in Europe. Let's learn more from Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media, former tech editor for the Today Show based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Paul, thanks for joining us today. And at first glance, it sounds like a way to squeeze some more kilowatt hours uh, out of the uh, wind farms that currently exist in the North Sea. That's exactly right. Uh, basically, where there is already infrastructure to deliver electrons, roughly speaking, uh, from the wind farm, as you just mentioned, now you can add a solar, basically a solar floating field of solar panels uh, to that mix, and they can connect directly to existing infrastructure to get the to get the energy flowing. The thing that's exciting about it to a lot of people is because there are so so many challenges right now when it comes to energy delivery, um, everything from you know Texas and its existing um, you know rolling blackouts potentially its challenges to Europe and it's dealing with uh, Putin and his cutoff of or potential cutoff of natural gas and obviously dialing that back. Everybody's looking for energy everywhere and this is a possible solution. And uh, it's called the Solar Duck, and uh, it's uh, maybe a, 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 a descendant of the Disco Duck. We don't know, um, but uh, it's it's called the Solar Duck, and uh, this is uh, there's there's a contract to actually install this thing, and uh, potentially though, 
Uh, could we see more projects like this, not just in the North Sea and these wind farms, possibly just floating in the middle of the ocean as uh, the world finds a way to uh, uh, to free itself from uh, commodities that uh, you know can be unstable and can cause major price swings, as we're seeing right now? That's exactly the vision they have. So RWE, which is a German consortium and has teamed up with, you know, Solar Duck is the name and Solar Duck is to, supposed to be visually evocative. And it is. It's a floating. It basically the solar panels are floating, uh, not on the oily um, sort of, you know, buoyant uh, out, outer coating of a duck, but obviously, but now on these on these basically pontoons and the solar panels are out of the water. Now, remember, it's starting in the north. The, 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 where this project is, is the North Sea. And the reason they're doing that is not because it's easy, but to quote, you know, JFK, because it's because it's hard. Um, the North Sea has very difficult weather conditions, very difficult, um, you know, storms that come in that are extreme and so forth. And, and guess what? If they can make this work there, they can make it work anywhere, essentially. So the goal here, but by the way, this, this dovetails with some really powerful interests. We talked about energy dependence or independence. One of the other things is that the cost of solar panels has plunged um, over 90% in the last 10 years, meaning the, the kilowatt hours generated per unit square footage, if you will, of these of these solar fields is gone way down in terms of cost. So and efficiency is going up, too. So the vision here is to put these, as you just suggested, almost anywhere. Uh, and you can put that because the cost of real estate is zilch um, out there in the ocean. Um, certainly rights and, and that sort of thing has to be challenging. But that none, nonetheless, this is a very promising field. Are we going to see more ideas like this now that there's more money uh, pouring into the uh, renewable space uh, thanks to tax credits that are available in the United States and elsewhere? And just uh, given the uh, opportunities that people see, because everyone's just sick and tired of uh, dealing with high gas prices, high natural gas prices and high oil prices. Very interesting question. Answer, absolutely. And it's, but it's not necessarily that the influences you just recommended. First of all, yes, the uncertainty of these sources, you know, whether the, the war in Ukraine and so forth, you know, and, and energy blackouts, all that stuff, absolutely correct. But another thing to think about, just to remember, there was a New York Times article yesterday, I believe, which pointed out that the fracking uh, that's going on in the U.S., which has made us an energy producer for sure, has actually been at a loss for 90% of the time that those that fracking efforts have, in other words, private equity has thrown lots of money into uh, fossil fuels, um, but at a loss. So here we go. This is solar, which is actually generating uh, power at a profit in many cases. And obviously, as technology advances, that will improve. So in a nutshell, this is a, mo- a good, healthy money grab, too. It's not just because the alternative sources are so unpredictable. Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media, former tech editor for the Today Show based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Thanks for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Entrepreneur Friday and still to come, introducing your teenager to credit cards. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. An important aspect of preparing teens for life on their own is teaching them to handle money and credit. Let's get some insight from Ted Rossman, industry analyst, creditcards.com, based in New York. Ted, thanks for joining us joining us today. Last week, we talked about uh, credit cards for college students and uh, possibly uh, some debit cards or preloaded money cards that also carry some credit card benefits. Uh, Let's carry that on now to uh, high school students, and maybe uh, you can teach them some lessons at the age of 16 or 17 before they go uh, potentially hog wild with the credit card uh, as a freshman in college. That would be my advice, is to help your teenager get their first credit card at something like age 16 or 17. I pick those numbers because they're still living at home. 
if you get turned loose with a credit card on a college campus, you could get into trouble. So I like the idea of teaching a teenager while they're still living under your roof. Maybe they get their driver's license around the same time and you set some parameters around what you can use the card for and who's responsible for paying the bill. Is that the parent? Is that the child? Whether we're talking about gas or meals or I like the idea of using some kind of training wheels. It also helps to build credit because if you can start that credit history at age 16 or 17 or something like that, you have a leg up once you hit adulthood. No, it's had uh, when I was in high school uh, in the dark ages of the 1990s, a, uh, <laughs> a a credit card and a cell phone both seemed like uh, exotic luxuries. But uh, these days, uh, they're a necessity, and they're a necessity to people at a younger and earlier age. Uh, so, a credit card for a high school student uh, may not seem uh, all that uh, exotic uh, in the in 2022. I think that's a good analogy. Yeah, I think nowadays a lot of middle schoolers, even some upper elementary kids have cell phones. I think that's a little early for a credit card, but I do think that something like 16 or 17 or 18 is a good time to get started with credit. I would also note that if a credit card scares you, there are some kind of hybrids. There are some prepaid debit cards, for example, companies like Greenlight and GoHenry that are really targeted at teens and young adults, and they have all these helpful budgeting tools. Parents can kind of digitally look over their kid's shoulder, set which stores you can spend at, set spending limits. Even some traditional credit card issuers like American Express let you set spending limits on authorized users. Some sort of training wheels are going to be appropriate here. And lastly, uh, it, it may become a necessity before too long because as a result of the pandemic, uh, a lot of businesses, a lot of, you know, if you go to the ballpark concession stands, they're entirely cash free. You need a credit card. You do. Very practically, you need it. But I would also argue, just like we're saying cell phones are the way of the world now, paying with plastic is the way of the world. And I would include things like mobile payments in that too. I think a debit card could be a worthwhile teaching tool alongside credit, although there are benefits to building credit. But if you stick only to bills and coins, I think you're doing your kids a disservice because it's not just the future, it's the way of the present. Transacting with plastic or apps is different, but you need to know how to do that. And it can't just be all cash all the time. Ted Rossman, industry analyst, creditcards.com, based in New York. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.